0: The Cannabis Conversation A European perspective on the emerging legal
1: cannabis industry Welcome to the Cannabis Conversation with Anoush Desai where we explore the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are helping to shape it. On today's show, I have Dr. Marcus Rogan. Marcus is the founder of Complex Biotech Discovery Ventures and is also a research associate at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Welcome, Marcus. How are you doing today?
0: Thank you for having me. I'm doing fine. Thank you.
1: Good, good, good. Pleasure to have you on. Cool, so we're actually going to talk about the chemistry of cannabis on today's show and we'll come onto that in a bit. But let's start with a bit about you, a bit about your background, how and why did you start studying cannabis?
0: Sure, so as you will undoubtedly figure out very quickly, I'm German, tried to hide my accent, didn't help. (laughs) Everyone made fun of me when I studied in England, so I I went to England to study chemistry at Imperial College. I actually just listened to uh, another Imperial College professor who was on your show, uh, so that was nice to hear. Yeah, so there everyone made fun of my German accent. I tried really hard to get rid of it, didn't help. So then I went to Switzerland to do my PhD in organic chemistry with an American professor. And then I moved on to California Scripps Research Institute to do my postdoc. And then all my English friends made fun of me that I finally developed a US accent (laughs) in addition to my German. So it never got with the British. There I met my wife in San Diego unrelated to my story of cannabis. But when I was doing my postdoc in California, I learned something, I discovered something I hadn't realized beforehand. As a chemist, I always thought you either become a professor or you work for a large pharma company. And the third option was startups, uh, biotech startups. And San Diego is a hub for that. And then in addition to that, I was in California the year that cannabis became recreational legal in Colorado. And there was a new buzz and move to elevate the California industry. And then serendipitously, I was asked to join a company to set up their testing laboratory for cannabis. Not having any background in drugs or cannabis, like I had no idea how it smelled. I thought you smoked the leaves. I thought it makes sense. It's on the T-shirts and uh, in tobacco, you smoke leaves. Okay, I was wrong. So I had to learn a lot. But it was the opportunity to be in this biotech startup scene, stay in California with my wife, girlfriend at the time, now wife, and also to join the the new growing cannabis industry uh, where there was a lot of potential and a lot to research. And that will be the theme throughout this conversation. When you join another field, you sit on the shoulders of giants and there's a lot of already done and there's very little you can still develop. Now in cannabis, I again sit on the shoulders of giants, Professor Mishulem, who you had on your show recently, but there are few of them and there's still a lot to discover. And uh, so I thought that was an amazing opportunity to work in the field.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, the science shows are some of my favorites because when I speak to scientists, I I can hear the excitement in their voices about just how much there is to discover. So it's great that you described that. Sure. Cool. So maybe you could tell us a bit about what you're studying at the moment at the university and then maybe also tell us about CBDV as well and, and how that kind of, came
0: about. Sure. I have to actually just continue the timeline to, to get to the point uh, where we are now to, to, put this into frame. So first I set up a testing laboratory for cannabis in California, was asked to develop methods. It's like, sure, FDA has methods. No, it doesn't. You have to develop your own methods, validate your own methods. And then I was like, okay, so how many cannabinoids are there? Over a hundred. Okay. How many stents can I buy? Five. So how do I develop only people care about THC and CBD? So already realizing there's a big lag of what can be done, what is known, and what probably has to be discovered thereafter. Because at the time it was 100 cannabinoids, now it's like over 150. So we're like we're constantly progressing. I did that, but then I was recruited over to the production site in California to, to join a vertically integrated cannabis producer and set up their extraction and production formulation aspect. And so I came over, good, okay, you want to do CO2 extraction, what's the solubility? And I was like, there's like one paper that has cannabinoid solubility in pure substance. And I was like, that's not really helpful for real extraction. So all the chemical engineering and process chemical values are not known. So I was like, okay, I have an ex- I know how to optimize systems. So I did that. And presented on that research. And then I realized I had way more fun doing the fundamental research and developing methods than actually work with my team day in, day out to make sure it happens the same way, right? There's the process development and then there's process control. And I'm I'm not so excited about process control. I'm more excited about the fundamental development. So again, I did that for some time. We set up all the methods. We got everything going. It was great. It was fun. But then it became this like repetitive part And I realized I've now done it for one company and I hit that company's maximum of of development interest. I can do more and the cannabis industry needs way more work. So my foundation idea or assumption was that the cannabis industry is this new modern industry, and we can talk about this a bit more, that is basically still stuck in the 1800s. And maybe some benchtop chemistry or some bro science from a university dorm uh, that they try to scale up, but never thought about modern uh, chemical processes, modern chemical reactions and general scientific uh, development in the last 50 years. And even if cannabis companies think they are great and the world leaders, they are still tiny companies compared to other industries. One example is Taco Bell makes more money than the legal cannabis industry in the US. So, and then world's revenue of legal cannabis was 25 billion last year or so, which was exactly the same money that YouTube made in advertisements. So cannabis is not large. And, and therefore I thought cannabis companies individually can't afford a real research facility like Bayer or GSK have but if you would set up one central hub for research that can service all companies or multiple companies, uh, that would be an opportunity. Yeah, in self-serving, I just wanted to be a researcher that plays around in the lab. (laughs) Um, But I couldn't do that in California because I can't work with the university as it's still federally illegal. So I had to move to Canada because there it is federally legal and producers exist. So I could Go back to germany where cannabis is legal but there are no producers so what do i do so i went to canada now i live in uh, vancouver near whistler and i might have a ski instructor license but (laughs) the, the focus was the research so i moved to canada set up this laboratory and have a position at the university so at the university we do fundamental and general cannabis research we're doing some Related compound syntheses. So how can you optimize the cannabis molecules? So cannabinoids somewhat synthetically altered that they have a more controlled effect. We're working on that. Then we also do computational chemistry to understand chemical reactions that occur in cannabis processing. We just published a paper on the decarboxylation of uh, cannabinoids. Always people talk about activating cannabis by decarboxylating. It's not really activating, you're just changing the molecule. Because THC acid might be psychoactive, but it's not intoxicating. THC, the decarboxylated neutral form is intoxicating, so that's the one you want. And we realized from our experiments that THC acid decarboxylates faster than CBD acid, and so this paper is focused why is that the case. And that is a nice academic question But there's also an important industrial aspect to it because the hemp industry right now can't translate all the cannabis processes because in hemp, CBD acid takes longer to decarboxylate. And so how do you speed it up or how do you control for it? So there is an industrial use to it. And so the the company I set up, Complex Biotech Discovery Ventures, or for short, CBDV, is this translational hub. We do fundamental research for a cannabis industry. Uh, we help them with their processes, but we also translate the research we pull out of the university and make them useful for the industry. And then in the third aspect, we help cannabis curious companies that are not yet in the field help with their processes and problems.
1: Wow, that sounds like a big remit and very exciting as well. How are you finding that last
0: element? Because
1: there must be a lot of education that's
0: needed. Yeah, so there's a lot of education. So before I get to answer the question about the Cannabis Curious Company. So education is needed and it's needed for everyone. So I obviously needed a lot of education thinking that you smoke the leaf. So I caught up on that. <laughs> the cannabis industry players itself uh, themselves need a lot of it education, too. It's getting better. But when I started 2014, still to like last two years, there's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, You often hear CBD is not psychoactive. No, it is psychoactive. It's just not intoxicating. And then you have to be precise in your words, because if there's imprecision, there's misunderstanding and there's then misuse of it. So we're working on that. Then with cannabis curious companies, they come in they've heard about it they might see some in- economical benefits in the fields uh, but they don't know all the ins and outs so they might not know what the regulatory aspects is and i leave that to to lawyers i actively try to avoid that my father always wanted me to take over his practice but i was like no i became a chemist also didn't do patent law so i can give a quick heads up but then move on to move them on to the specialist there And cannabis is still a plant and has molecules in it. It's just a few molecules that you don't encounter in other plants. So those aspects have to be considered. One example we work for, we work with a company Fridge. They produce mills, so grinders, milling equipment for the mining industry, technology industry and other plant manufacturing sectors. Uh, plant processing fa- factors. We translate their knowledge into the cannabis field and they were using hop, uh, hops as an example to mill the plant. Problem is cannabis is way more oily thanks to the high cannabinoid content in the plant than hops. So they thought they had this great system and then you put cannabis in and it like clogs. So they can't mm-hmm. do that because They sit in Germany. They don't have 50 kilos of cannabis flower sitting around that they can mill. So we do that in our licensed laboratory where we have the license to do it. We have the supplies. We can run the material. We then have all the instruments around it. Um, we have all the assays already set up so that we can then understand what goes through. Because you also want to know, does it, not only does it clog, but also what does it do to the plant? So we could show it doesn't decarboxylate, it doesn't uh, destroy terpenes and or evaporates them. You actually, the cannabinoid and terpene concentration you put in also comes out the other end. It's just now in a powdered form. So that would be an example. And then we we work with other large companies, unfortunately still stuck under NEA, that are looking at the sector, and they realize that the chemistry of cannabinoids is a little bit more complicated, and I hope we get some time to talk about this later on, and they don't have all the tools to research it, so that's then our work to do.
1: Right. Well, then you're definitely busy, I guess. You brought up something interesting, but I'll bring it up a bit later as we sort of talk about the, the main topic, which is the chemistry of cannabis. Maybe we'll just start at the 101 part. I mean, everyone studied it at school. I'm not sure how much attention everyone was paying. But what exactly is chemistry and how does it apply to cannabis?
0: Okay. <laughs> I like in, in, in high school, I had this uh, <laughs> physics is what ha- why it happens. Chemistry is what happens and biology is what happens if it happens. So that was always my way. So chemistry is the change of molecules and the analysis of molecules. So physics is like individual particles, atoms, forces so on and so forth. And biology is like the effect, like what comes out when, when molecules happen, react, interact, and then that becomes a larger system, a cell and an organism and then a human. So for chemistry, we, we look at individual molecules. How are they formed? How are they changed? How do they react? What happens to them if you expose them to light, to temperature, to another solvent? So that would be my quick one hundred and one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that kind of, you alluded to a couple of things that that I found quite interesting. Well, one of the things I always found interesting with, with cannabis is kind of contrasting it with things in the non-cannabis world. My understanding, and I'm definitely not a scientist, is, you know, cannabis is it's very complex in terms of its makeup and it can change quite a lot. Is it necessarily much more complex and variable? and changeable than or lots of other plants? Or
0: how do you rank it if you can? So I'm not a, I'm not a plant scientist, so I, I can't firmly speak on this, but I, I remember a presentation by a plant scientist that showed just an, an LCMS trace, so a liquid chromatograph mass spectrometry trace. So basically you put everything that's in the plant into the machine, it gets separated by time, and then it gets analyzed what comes out. And when you look at a trace from, let's say, rosemary or any other plant you can think of, this looks, think of it like a skyline. So if you, if you don't know what a mass spec look like, think of it like a skyline or a mountain relief. And you look at it and you see maybe like 20, 30 peaks and like there's a little bit up and down and so on. But it's, you look at it, it is like still makes a little sense. You can tell, oh, there's something there, something there. If you do that to cannabis this thing looks like a forest there are hundreds of peaks and it gets really complicated and convoluted and so this this juxtaposition between a normal crop that has been commercially bred and optimized towards a singular goal is relatively benign or boring in its spectrum for cannabis which has been also bred and optimized for something more difu- diffuse and in a in a different realm of operation not in academic laboratories but in like sheds in the wood yeah it's very complicated so to, to say that just um so one of the products we're developing in our company is we have a database of c- uh, compounds that are known in the cannabis plant and uh We have over 150 cannabinoids. We have over 200, 250 terpenes. Our list is over 800 compounds. And that's just like the interesting ones. So I'm not considering like proteins, DNA, cell wall, like boring stuff. Um, Okay. So biologists find that really exciting. I can't really do much with it. So for a chemist, exciting compounds, we are like over 800. That's quite complicated. Yeah, that is, wow. I can imagine.
1: So yeah, I mean, you talked about extraction a few times in terms of the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, how important is extraction and distillation for medical applications of cannabis and actually what's the difference between the two?
0: Sure. So as a chemist, when I hear extraction, that means that a solvent is used to remove the compounds of interest from a matrix. So as an example, you have the cannabis plant, you put alcohol on it, alcohol will pull out THC and leave behind the cell wall, in a simplified version. So that means if you do a key thing where you where you break the trichomes off and pull them through a sieve, or you use rosin press where you have two hot plates pressing hard on, on the cannabis flower to press out the, the oils to the side, that's not an extraction. That's a mechanical separation, but it gets lumped into extraction. So that ticks me off. Again, precision, right? We mentioned that earlier. So, okay, going now back to extraction. Different solvents will have different effects on different molecules. So, for example, water as your common solvent to make your coffee, your tea, to dissolve sugar, make all the the soft drinks, uh, or beer, right? Water is the main solvent. But cannabinoids, THC, CBD, and so on, do not dissolve in water. So we can't use water extraction. So we have to use another solvent. And then there's the host of solvents. You can use alcohols, you can use hydrocarbons like butane or heptane, or you can use compressed CO2 that becomes a liquid or a supercritical fluid. And all these different solvents have different extraction properties on the, the plethora of different molecules you have. And so depending on which molecules you want to get out of the plant, and concentrate for your product you can choose the right solvent but then it gets more complicated this the residence time is also important because there are different kinetic aspects so in alcohol uh, for example the uh, THC and CBD would dissolve relatively fast but terpenes take longer to dissolve while in hydrocarbons, so butane, it's the other way around. Terpenes dissolve really fast, cannabinoids take a little longer. That's on, on, we're talking seconds here, like 30 seconds versus like 40 seconds or two seconds. So you don't realize it when you don't have the high-powered instrumentation to look at it as we have. But that is an important aspect when you are thinking about doing this on a ton scale. And then CO2, Mm. there's temperature, then you add pressure to it, so you're getting one more complicated and so you have to choose the right solvent in the right conditions for the right material to extract the material you are in, uh, to extract the the cannabinoids and terpenes the 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 plant profile that you're in, interested in and uh, that is a constant mm-hmm. field of our research and it's horribly complicated And uh, it is also difficult for us to explain it to the cannabis professionals that it is complicated because they think it's a commodity process already. It's not there yet.
1: Yeah, right. And I suppose, depending on the different solvent that you use, it leaves residue or does it leave something behind?
0: Yes. So the solvent was there to, if you think about it non-chemically, but like figuratively, the solvent comes into the plant and like, latches on to the uh, to thc and pulls it out so there's a very good connective like not connect like attraction between thc and the solvent so when you then remove the solvent there's a very good attraction between thc and the solvent <laughs> so getting the <laughs> solvent back out <laughs> is a step in itself so yeah. hydrocarbons are of concern and i've heard all the stories that they're all grass solvents so why is that a problem few things grass refers to ingestion not inhalation also the doses make it salt water is a grass so, uh, grass chemical but i've watched baywatch too much salt water is not a good idea either so so hydrocarbons uh, might be of a concern alcohol is still so ethanol is still a carcinogenic compound But it is consumed. So that is then a question. But then did they use pure solvents? I have seen people using denatured alcohol to extract with. And it's denatured by having stuff in there that you do not want to consume, like methanol or wood alcohol, how it's called in the US, or uh, benzene, something that stinks and is also very toxic. So that is a concern. And then even with CO2, there are different purities of gas. And then the question is, what are the the other compo- uh other compounds in in the gas canister? But generally, for for CO2, if there's residual solvent, you have a bubbly. That's the sparkling water or the champagne. That's CO2. So right. solvents are a concern, but for a developed industry, they have a handle on it. I'm not <laughs> for a developed industry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right, right.
0: (laughs) I mean, we could go into this, this large topic
1: alone, but I've got a few more questions that sort of based around this. And I guess the main one is, you know, a frequently talked about topic of the entourage effect. And what's your take on that aspect of this?
0: Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, when I tried to like define chemistry and biology, so I'm a chemist. So I know the molecule, I don't know what the molecule does. So the entourage effect is an effect on the on the on the human that goes into biology pharmacology toxicology not my expertise don't really know the only thing that i want to point out is that the entourage effect was coined in an observation that pure thc does not lead to the same benefit as the consumption of the whole cannabis plant so the first thought that comes to mind is, so more compounds need to do something together. As a chemist, as an organic chemist, when I think about it is, maybe it's not the THC that does the job, but there is a different compound in there that does the job, but we haven't found it yet. So it's like the silent passenger that does the job. And so Professor Mary showed that minor cannabinoids that are not looked at in standard compliant testing, and only can be looked at in like, highly specialized research testing, actually their presence or absence affects the outcome with patients. So he's looking in minor cannabinoids, their effect on different cancer cells, where like one cannabinoid has an effect on one cancer line, Mm -hmm. but not on the other, and then there's another cannabinoid that does the other way around, or in autism, Um, he has some really good results there. So. I can't answer your question about the entourage effect. What I want to point out is you have to be more flexible in your thinking. It's not just, ooh, it's this like full spectrum, whatever, however you define that. It might just be something that you're not generally looking at. And so you have to drive the research forward to be able to look at it. And one example from my own work uh, of the entourage effect, and as this is a podcast, you can't see my, me on camera. I'm doing the, the air quotes here. So when I worked in California in the fully vertically integrated uh, cannabis company, I was on the production floor. And they also had a dispensary where they sold the product. And we had a client or a patient in the mid 30s, a male epileptic and was requesting help. And it's like, I'm not a doctor. Like, don't ask me. <laughs> But eventually, they came with like, okay, we want uh, a CBD-THC mixture as a tincture. Three to one, CBD to THC. So three parts CBD, one part THC in a carrier oil, so MCT. And the pers- uh, they bought it, and it worked. It stopped the seizures. It went from like nine seizures a day to no seizures for eight weeks. Great. So now the tincture runs out. They come back. They buy the same tincture, three to one. And it doesn't help. The seizures are back. I was like, why the hell? So everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Only the production floor, so me and my my formulation chemist, knew that we had to change the THC fraction. We ran out of one cultivar. It was a diamond OG. uh, And we had to move on to sour diesel or something. And we can talk about strain names too. Also, weird aspect. So we we changed the THC fraction. We didn't change the CBD fraction, right? We had CBD powder, we put THC oil in there, mix it three to one for the two cannabinoids. We even did research, we did compliant testing on those. And there was the same amount of THC, there was the same amount of CBD. There was about the same amount of THC acid in there, which was like neglectable. There was no CBD acid. CBC, CBG, all of them, identical or near identical values. So there was in one, there was CBG acid present and in the other one, it was absent. But I'm also aware that there are a hundred other cannabinoids in that extract because I'm doing a full plant extract of THC that wasn't distilled and we have a different outcome. So I know I have a different outcome, but I can't see why. So there's your entourage effect, mm. however you want to define it. Yes.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Take. And yeah, Professor Mary was, I've seen him talk a few times as well as being on the show. And everyone seems to t- focus on the CBD THC ratio. And he was sort of showing that, yes. you know, you can have an identical ratio and it will have different effects, because of the other things that we can't kind of
0: yep. capture.
1: And when you have 800 variables, potentially, that's a lot of things to monitor, right?
0: yeah so as you asked earlier and uh, i mentioned a few of those terms let's just quickly run through full spectrum whole plant extract okay full spectrum whatever you think it uh, whatever you believe it wants or wanted to uh, mean that's what it means it has no scientific foundation also how can something be full spectrum extract if an extract is a reduction or a concentration of something with a left out of something else from the plant right so and therefore it can't be a whole plant extract either because you left something behind, right? Cell walls, chlorophyll, so it's not a whole plant anymore. So it kind of is meaningless. So, but this is extraction, right? We defined it solvent, remove compounds of interest from the matrix. Distillation is the purification of a mixture to a single compound or narrow defined band of compounds by their boiling point. So THC and CBD have slightly different boiling points. But they're so close together that it's nearly impo- uh, that it's very difficult to actually distill them apart. Right? You can't really separate them by distillation. But terpenes mm-hmm. have a very different boiling point. So terpenes, uh, depending if it's monoterpene or sesquaterpene, have a boiling point in the range of 100, and, 100 to 250 degrees Celsius. And I'm talking to a British person. I can do Celsius. In the US, they don't have a clue what it means. But <laughs> let them leave them to their freedom units. And then cannabinoids have a boiling point of <laughs> 420, 450 degrees Celsius. And now people will say, but no, Meshalem said the boiling point was 155. And he was right. The uh, boiling point of THC is 155 degrees Celsius at high vacuum. So you have to consider that a boiling point changes when the at- uh, atmospheric pressure changes. So under reduced pressure or under vacuum, you have a lower boiling point. So you can use vacuum distillation to then purify THC from a sludge of other stuff, maybe some chlorophyll, some fats and waxes. And I don't like the term fats and waxes. They are actual molecules with some value in them, different topic. So extraction, think of it as more like a rough production step where you remove your compounds of interest from the bulk. And then distillation is more in the refinement area So in the same vein as chromatography or crystallization to purify your material.
1: Fantastic. Great. Well, there's so much more we could go into. I'm conscious of time. Maybe the last question then is, and it's probably going to be quite a big one, but what are the areas that you're most excited about? I mean, there's so much more to learn, but if you're going to pick one, what's the bit that's really interesting? What's the bit that you really look forward to getting the answer to?
0: Early on, I hinted cannabis is this modern industry, and you often hear cannabis is the first industry of the 21st century and so on, or the first industry after the tech revolution. Then you should do tech because right now they handle it more like the industrial revolution and not like the tech revolution. Data is not mined and is not utilized in the cannabis industry. There's some work, and we heard from the professor from Imperial College, that they're now data mining patients' outcome to do an observational study but the same thing should or could be done in cannabis production mm-hmm. so we are actually working on ai that understands cannabis extraction and then can optimize it on the run you don't just go i have five kilos of cannabis and that's my standard method you say i have five kilos of this particular cannabis cultivar um with this water content and this cannabinoid content. And therefore to get my precise vape oil, I have to tweak my parameters. And I'm looking at dozens of parameters in that way to be precise in my production. So that's what we work on. And that's really exciting uh, because it is a collaborative effort between chemists, data scientists, Mm. statistician, and engineers. So it's really cool project and really hard. And then the other part is the chemistry of cannabis. Right now, THC, CBD, and maybe CBG are the three buzzwords, the three cannabinoids everyone cares about. I already mentioned earlier, there are more cannabinoids that might or could be of importance. But then THC is only the, the chemical product of a decarboxylation from the natural occurring CBD, uh, THC acid. And then there are other compounds, CBN, which is an oxidation. And then there are, Further chemical processes, isomerization, oxidation, photocyclic reactions, radical reactions, dimerization. There is so much going on in your cannabis product that people are currently not aware of and often don't look at or look for that me as a chemist, there's a lot to do and we have to do a lot of education because it's quite complicated And it needs more understanding to deliver a good product to the client. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. (laughs) I don't really know where to start with all that stuff. There's uh,
1: uh, lots to look
0: forward to, I guess. It is exciting, but it's also frustrating. And maybe I can use that as like closing remarks. Uh, The cannabis industry was all excited two years back and everyone poured lots of money in uh, to have the largest uh, in-house indoor grow or like the largest production capacity. And now they realized it's actually a little harder and people then lose their motivation and like are frustrated and don't want to actually put the money into the fundamentals. Like they all want to get rich, but they don't want to do the work. And I want to do the work, Mm -hmm. but I can't do it out of thin air. We need willing partners to actually put a little money into the fundamental work. They're like, why should I pay you x amount of money now because Mm -hmm. i'm selling something and we're like yeah but you're wasting and i'm that's a real example you're wasting a hundred thousand dollars every day that you throw away because you don't understand your winterization step give me a little money to optimize that and then you will save ninety-five thousand dollars every day to your current method And it is frustrating for me to see the unwillingness of cannabis players to look beyond the short term returns. If we want to make an industry that lasts, we need to do the hard things too. Like Tesla is a cool car, and sorry if I read from that, but Tesla is an awesome car, but someone invented the process of a car 100, over 100 years ago. It's not like they came out of thin air. And the same goes for pharmacy, for for your current beers yeah. that you drink. There were monks 500 years ago who put some effort in. And you need to, or the cannabis industry need to put a bit more work into their fundamentals. I everyone's searching for patient capital, aren't
1: they? And perhaps the traditional funders of this sort of long-term approach are pharmaceutical companies.
0: Yes, or investors that have played in that space and not in the cannabis space where you go public in a few months and then you are valued at 150 times your annual revenue. Yeah, it's harder, but we are at the stage now. <laughs> but I'm I'm hopeful that after the dot-com bubble in 2000, 2001, people didn't switch off the internet and left it, but the good companies came out afterwards. So we hope. Yeah, let's hope
1: let's hope I mean that's a whole show in its own right yeah I hope the future is a bit more longer term and, and people take that perspective in how they approach this so thank you Marcus this has been really really enjoyable and there was so much more we could talk about but thank you for joining me and uh, I'd love to have you back on at some point as well
0: yeah thank you very much for having me and I'm happy to come back anytime